0: What's up, Twiggies? Our friends at AppsFlyer recently released their 2023 State of Gaming App Marketing Report. Clocking in at a whopping 80 slides of words and charts, I am sure, I'm sure it's full of data and lessons that'll all help us do a better job marketing and monetizing our games in the current environment. But, like you, I am extremely busy and also extremely lazy I do not have time to read an 80-page PDF. I can't read 80 pages of PDF while I'm doing my laundry or while I'm playing Honkai Star Roll. So let me tell you what I did. I invited Brian Murphy, the head of gaming at AppStyle, to come on the pod and educate me. Because of course I want to learn about game marketing, but only if that learning is delivered to me in podcast form. So Brian... Thank you so much for joining me in conversation today to talk about the state of mobile game marketing in 2023. You're welcome, and
1: thanks for having me. Yeah,
0: of course. So so to start off, uh, can you tell us a little about yourself, your background in in game development, and, and what you do as the head of gaming at AppsFlyer?
1: Sure. So uh, I've been sort of selling uh to the game uh marketplace game developers publishers however you want to define them for over 12 or 13 years now generally i would choose this route and i'd come back and continue to sell to it again it was just a, a vertical and an industry that um it's always interesting it's innovating really fast a lot of people want to be a part of it and um and so i've taken roles at different advertising companies in different ways um that centered around um Games as, as being their uh, being the core uh, marketplace of users and and, and content. So uh, I've been doing this for, like I said, quite a long time. So it's time for me,
0: at the start, to confess just how lazy I am. Because <laughs> you know this is this is the honest truth, right? When I get um, these reports. Um, that companies put out like Apps Flyer that are well-researched, deep, filled with charts and graphs, filled with the type of information that I know will make me better at my job or at least uh, better at podcasting about the industry. I basically look for one key finding slide and then I scan it and I literally ignore the rest, right? And it's not it's not your report. It's all reports. It's just anything delivered in PDF format. That is my uh, that's uh, uh, my uh, tolerance for it, basically. And I think I'm not alone here. So I decided to take a really interesting tactic, or at least I Mm -hmm. think it's interesting or it's just my cop-out for, for not reading the whole thing. I'm going to base the entire interview just off the key finding section. Sure. Um, that is, is how we're going to roll. And it's how we are going to dig into the information that uh, was most interesting and most worth
1: highlighting. Well, I can tell you this, Ethan, um, it, it there, the, uh, the report is, is lengthy to put it mildly. Um, but a lot of people put a lot of work into it, so um, the hope is is that there's a, a, a enough of a segment of the audience that can actually read it in greater detail. But by no means can yeah. everybody do it because we're all busy. I mean, we have children, okay. we're married, uh, we've got car payments, yeah. we've got mortgage payments, uh, we're, we're doing yeah. our jobs each day. So don't take it. Uh, we don't take it personally. Um, uh, the fact that uh, you could build uh, a, a podcast segment um, just on the key findings alone means we're probably doing a good thing at it. So. Good for
0: you. Right. Yeah. It kind of, it does it reveal just how full of uh, shit I am each week on this week in gaming?
1: <laughs> I wouldn't say that. I would say Ethan, that a lot of people have a lot of respect for you and, and they listen to you very intently. And I think that maybe it's more about that. You could take key findings that you mentioned earlier and you can sort of uh, develop a narrative and a story around it and then uh, make it meaningful and interesting to people, but not have to spend, you know, maybe undue amount of time actually putting it all together that maybe synthesizing it is your talent in life. And that's probably a good thing.
0: All right. So so here we'll go with the first one. The first key finding was when comparing 2021 to 2022, you see an 8% increase in game installs on Android and a 5% decrease on iOS. And you also note that iOS installs improved 13% over last year's figures. So what does this key finding tell us about how gamers are behaving on these two platforms,
1: well, from an advertising perspective, um, I think it's pretty uh, clear, and I don't nobody's omniscient here or breaking the breaking the breaking the wheel that you know Apple's changes in privacy have led to some pretty uh, challenging headwinds um, in regards to that platform. So uh, the fact that you know we're recognizing this year that Apple is decreasing um, again. Um, I think is a reflection of those changes, and, and naturally, yes, it's it's fair to to you know kind of create a hypothesis that Android increased because of those changes. So it, it's becoming potentially more profitable than it was before to invest in Android rather than iOS. Um, uh, now, traditionally, as you probably know, Ethan, that's never been that hasn't been the case up to this point because iOS users, because of their propensity to spend higher generally has been the more valuable platform in terms of its margin and, and how profitable your business is. But I think it's fair to say that those changes that Apple, um, you know, developed these these recent years for, for their own reasons, many of which are, are, are probably really relevant and good reasons, um, did have an impact there. Um, what's interesting is what you said is that or what you, you described, which is definitely true, is that we did see, you know, the decrease of Apple come down. So um, a lot of people will Want to under, or trying to understand why that is. I mean, the natural hypothesis that we would draw is that somehow that the game advertisers, the large ones that spend the tremendous amounts of money on advertising to acquire users, m- might have actually uh, succeeded a little bit better than the previous year on Apple with changes to ATT and scan and, and whatnot. So it's possible that they're actually getting better insights than they were initially once the first rollout came. Um, and there have been updates to SKAD network, and companies like AppsFlyer and others have developed um, more granular solutions to gain back more insights that they had lost once the first changes were made. So, I think it is fair to say some optimizations become coming from Apple and from the service providers that support it probably had a, an impact there, and maybe it's making it a little bit easier than it was to at least at least initially.
0: Right. So we're not we're not. Uh back to the glory days, but a combination of improvements on both sides, which is on ask the SK ad, ad network improving, people getting better at using it, and also the the service providers doing a better job, like providing more tools with it essentially. Um, probably when it when it hit, you know, I feel like ad spend pulled back. Everyone pulled back dramatically. And then now we're kind of testing the waters, getting back to it, getting back to it. So we're, we're not there yet is what it is, what it sounds like. But things are at least improving over time.
1: I would say, you know, the, the numbers to this point after year one to year two, they're more encouraging than maybe some people anticipated. Ethan, I don't expect it to come back to what it was before the changes were made. Right. I don't think anybody is under that illusion and nobody should be. But... Uh, I think what's interesting is that companies are now deploying new solutions um, to support a more aggregated environment, whereby user-level data, at least up to the point of a, of ten years ago, to when Apple made these changes. And mind you, Google's going to make Google Sandbox changes, so that's going to have an impact as well. And now we're going to see, you know, some sort of a, a change to some degree in the Google Play Store. Um, but the fact is, is that um, people are building solutions. To confront a, a world in which user data is not the holy grail that everybody was reaching for um, when it was earlier, solutions like predictive analytics, um, uh, uh, deduplication of SKAd network versus attributed installs, um, the ability to actually, I would say, uh, pull out as much and eke out as much data outside of the SKAd network with the with uh, the, the the bit limitations as well as um, uh, the timer limitations i think are having impacts these aren't like i don't think these are wild swings but i think they're meaningful um uh changes that are being made whereby um uh, uh, the the ios world isn't as uh, precarious as it was when these first changes were made
0: Are game marketers in aggregate spending more to target Android players versus iOS players in uh, 2022 than they have in
1: previous years? I'd say that they spend more aggressively on Android than they have in the past. And I think some of the data is suggesting that. Uh, But as you know, like and I mentioned this earlier, um, you know, like Android comes with its, its challenges in regards to like the ability to be profitable to begin with. So, yes, you can acquire more users and acquire them, you know, less expensively, you know, at the at the dollar figure. But it doesn't necessarily mean that the margin you're going to, you know, you're going to gain from that user uh, that you acquire on Android will equal iOS. It just generally doesn't work that Mm -hmm. way. I mean, there's always outliers in terms of users. But by and large, you know, Apple's a more profitable platform to buy from because the users have a better propensity to spend, as I I mentioned. Um, But, you know, in regards to like hey, look, can we acquire a user at profitable ROAS on iOS today versus how we did it two years ago? I don't think that's the same. So uh, for them, it just makes naturally more sense to spend more aggressively on Android because what they're losing on iOS, they could potentially gain back in Android and sort of maybe get to 50-50. I don't think um, they're necessarily going to reconcile it completely, but um, but I do think like they probably see a, bigger, a better opportunity on Android than they did in the past to do something more successfully. And I think that, I think the numbers do suggest that. Um, I, I, I think some people are making suggestions that Android is gonna grow, you know, I wanna say exponentially, but have a much bigger impact in the world. Um, but that would require mm-hmm. obviously a lot of users changing, you know, uh, a consumption that they've had for a long time. And, and you know, people like myself, for example, uh, have, you know, they've invested heavily in, uh, in in all the Apple products together. so. Getting them right. to move over to um, the Android and Google Play, uh, Google Play uh, world isn't as simple as just the economics itself. I mean, it would require uh, consumers changing their habits very dramatically, frankly.
0: And so, like, in, in general, the simple way to think about it is Apple's a luxury product at a higher price point, and so it has players on it that spend more, whereas, yes, Android has many um, high-end and many luxury Devices, but also many low-end devices around the world. It's a lower price point uh, uh, ecosystem, and so you have much higher volume of users on the Android platform, especially as you look uh, outside of of uh, uh, tier one countries and worldwide. Uh, but they spend less on games, right?
1: Correct. I mean, that's a we. It's it's been that way since uh, we started to analyze all this when the stores got going right away, um, and it hasn't changed at all. Although You know, again, what's what's happened, though, is that, you know, because of the changes with Apple, um, that's had major impacts on 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 this. And so in
0: the past, where if you think about uh, time spend on the on the marketing team side, pre SK ad network, it might make more sense to spend time uh, optimizing your uh ios campaigns right because those are the most profitable campaigns and when the with the with these changes um that time might be best spent optimizing some um factors on android campaigns right targeting people on high-end samsung devices or trying to get more uh uh, mid-tier spenders out of tier two or tier three countries. I, I don't know. I'm I'm just saying words that I've heard other people say at this point. Uh-huh. In in addition to the to the platform split, did game marketers in aggregate invest less or more in performance marketing in 2022 compared to 2021?
1: I think. Um... I think we're still kind of like looking at all that data, but I think that it's fair to say, Ethan, that, you know, up until the changes with Apple, like performance marketing got down to a real science, you know? Like, I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, when you come from a company like AppsFlyer, your whole tool set is based on creating the ability for somebody to say, if I spend a million dollars on Facebook, I get back $1.5 million in positive ROAS. So I made a $500,000 profit from it, you know? I mean that—that's the beauty in what, uh, where mobile gaming marketing or mobile marketing in general had gotten to, which is really, really impressive. Like that's, you know, what, coming from yeah. a background where you—I know, don't—I un- couldn't understand why how companies that spent money on advertising could do it because, like, how how do you measure that? Like, you know, like television spending mm-hmm. or or buying a billboard on a highway, right? Like, you know, like how do you prove out that that actually created, you know, created, uh, you know, a profit from it? Um, so it's, you know it it gets pretty interesting uh, to see these kinds of changes whereby traditional advertising now has become more, uh, more relevant in this space when that relevance was really dedicated just to data. And now it's like, okay, well, mm-hmm. we have to change to other avenues on how we're going to acquire users because the way we did it to this point doesn't exist anymore in the way we see it. So, yeah, I mean, people are looking at connected television, OTT, um, they're looking at uh, you know other platforms that they can measure on. They're looking at
0: right.
1: how does an influencer campaign drive us tremendous amounts of K-factor, and you know how do we quantify that? So uh, they are using other methods to do so, uh, and it's just vastly different than buying on Facebook and Google and the other ad platforms that we're all familiar with, and doing it in a way that you could really see down to the penny, like whether or not this is making money or not making money, which is kind of interesting but yeah it's been it's been funny to see how more traditional advertising at least the way we would we would quantify it or qu- qualify it has now kind of entered the sphere where it didn't exist before
0: something that um, the the data kind of implies and I would say the data in this report along with anecdotally what I'm hearing from other people what I'm picking up uh, on the podcast what I'm reading in the news is that uh, something I didn't expect, was that the less that we market iOS games, the fewer of them are downloaded, right? And that's so interesting to me because my previous mental model probably would have been a gamer has an appetite to download a new game and by advertising Legendary to them, it makes it more likely that they'll download Legendary instead of AFK Arena, Right. So it's Mm -hmm. like they already have a desire for games, and I'm trying to make my game the game that fills that appetite. But this data uh, combined with this, you know, knowing that people are spending less on the iOS platform and seeing the data about downloads being down year over year, two years in a row, I, uh, other people might have known this before. I would not have thought that advertising creates appetite for new games right and in the in the absence of this advertising an individual might be just keeping playing a game they've been playing for years right i play tune blast i'm going to keep playing Mm -hmm. tune blast right Mm -hmm. and i'm just going to stick with it um or maybe they're and much more likely they're spending their time on other forms of entertainment like tiktok right so that's that's Mm -hmm. so my hypothesis here is that advertising drives downloads, right? It's not about steering someone's choice. It's about creating the desire to download in the first place. Um, Do you think the data in in this report backs up that that, uh, hypothesis I have?
1: I I think it does. You know, what's interesting is, um, you know, the first qualitatively, because gaming – because advertising on gaming, because of the, number one, the, you know, it's just the impress the, the impressiveness of how it looks, the physics of it, of a game. When somebody either sees a video of it, which is obviously, as you know, a big, you know, uh, a, a big segment of advertising in games or playable advertising, which it takes it to another level, right? You know, the fact is, is once you have a user that's seen a, an ad for 30 minutes or sorry, 30 seconds or played an ad for 30 seconds, you have a real user with intent, and that user with intent ultimately has a higher propensity to install it than somebody who just saw it passively. Whereby, look, it could have been in the app store; they might have done an organic search, or just saw it pop up. But you know, it didn't. If there wasn't like, um, if there wasn't a gear that went in that person's you know psyche about uh, why they would want to play this game and why and how it impressed them or how it interested them. Then naturally, the, their 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 you know their interest doesn't kind of take itself to the step of installing it, playing it, and then ultimately potentially being a monetizer of the game itself, which is a valuable user, as as everybody knows. Um, so advertising does drive that consumption. Um, the other thing that I would say is, um, it's been very historically true that like. You know, ordinarily, Ethan, you know, companies would say, well, if I can get any, if I can get all my uh, users organically, that would be great. You know, like that's, I don't have to spend mon- mm-hmm. any money on advertising. Um, and uh, if I grow organically and like a company, I could say that like, we've seen this happen and I, I don't know how they're doing it, but uh, among us, an inner slot, like just grew basically through the stores for the past couple of years. And uh, to my knowledge, I don't know if they spent any money on advertising that it's all been organic, which is really impressive. And obviously- yeah. You know, if somebody reaches those heights, that's tremendous. But this that that is, you know, a very small percentage that actually get to that. I mean, it's it's almost infinitesimal. The lightning in the bottle moments like Among Us or
0: Flappy Bird where something goes truly viral. Right. You know, That's not you you can't build a business plan around we'll build it and then it'll go viral. You know, 99 percent of those fail. (laughs)
1: Exactly. Tip your hats to them. And they've done amazingly well, but uh, it's hard to replicate that. And it's almost impossible. So, but what's interesting is, you know, that business model obviously works fine. However, I would say this, that um, when people, when, you know, when advertisers, companies in general from the top down are doing their analysis on how valuable are users, what they do see is that, you know, generally a user that actually installs due to advertising versus an organic user. Is actually a much better user in terms of lifetime value and how long they retain so the advertising itself is sort of driving this interest uh, beyond an organic user so therefore advertising has to be an element to this no matter what because if the user is just a bit more valuable or in some cases highly more valuable then you want to acquire those users because they're going to be successful for you so um it it's what's interesting is like you could look at it in two different ways but in most cases, you have to have a mixture of both. It's great to have organic users, of course, but your actual best users are going to end up being ones that you paid for, frankly.
0: Now, as you said a little earlier, um, we've we, we've been through multiple versions of ad, SK Ad Network, and, and the data shows that with each one and as... Uh, providers like AppsFlyer, their tools get better, and their way they work with it get better, and the industry gets more knowledgeable. Like we're seeing improvements. So, do you think, uh, as we look ahead to SKAdNetwork four, uh, uh, do you think the continued improvements there are going to make a major shift in these dynamics, or is it, you know, just another iteration, another step in improving um, our ability to advertise
1: on uh, iOS? I think that. Uh there will be more improvements i don't know how many more improvements could be made up to beyond where we're at today there functionally you can do more for sure mm-hmm. um, but you know i don't think anything's going to truly change the game i think you can make it more profitable and and make it make the margin stronger and that's great and then you could build a successful business out of it and apple can per, per, persist to be a huge part of this um, i would say that there's going to have to be more innovations um, because Apple's not going backwards in terms of privacy, you know, and frankly, neither is Google. So if nobody, I think everybody's, No, I don't think anybody here is under any illusion that like Apple or Google are going to take their foot off the gas on how they're going to protect user privacy. And frankly, they should. And maybe the user data that we got to the level we did like up to a few years ago, maybe that was, um, you know, uh, maybe that was a house of cards. And it probably was, you know, a lot of people that we don't know in the industry well, probably felt that way um, and have publicly stated that. And uh, we're probably right, uh, but then, um, but there are other avenues in creating, you know, sort sort of more obfuscation of users um, to support mm-hmm. the ability to measure properly, but not do it do it where you're compromising the user in in their identity and, and how much access you have to it. So I think things like what's becoming obviously a, a very critical kind of um, component, and this is starting to pick up with a lot of interest over the last year, and definitely I would say Ethan. The last three months, um, I've seen this firsthand. That the data concept of a data clean room, whereby you are taking campaign level data that's been restricted, combining it with user level data that can be aggregated, and then uh, and then ultimately introducing first party data, and then putting that together in a report that basically blocks any possibility of identifying a user, you know, down to a user ID, um, and making it really just virtually impossible to do so. That's something that I think could be sort of a future-proof state that we're gonna get to over time. And um, a data clean room does not exist just in this vacuum of games. It exists all over the world in different industries. Um, And the use cases are are incredible. We heard a use case just recently whereby an insurance company wanted to be able to uh, basically uh, provide um, a secure environment from a privacy perspective, uh, from the underwriter to the salesperson, to the actual customer that was buying an insurance policy, but they were going to use a data clean room in that environment. So if you think about it in those terms, Ethan, the you know the use cases are endless. This is just one small fraction of like where this could be into the future. But the fact is, is that those um, this the concept of a privacy privacy cloud and a data clean room exists today, and um, ultimately they could actually become future states of where advertising needs to be for this industry. I'll move
0: on to key finding number two, which is that $26.7 billion is the total gaming app install ad spend worldwide in 2022. That is a big number. Uh, $26.7 billion spent uh, um, putting uh, games to download in front of people. What do you think that tells us beyond that we still uh, are managing to spend... uh, a lot of money uh, putting our
1: ads in front of players. I think it's telling us that it's still the advertising is still a requirement. um, And it's just, it's never, it's not going away. Like advertising can't go away any, in any industry. It just doesn't, an industry can't survive without the ability to get in front of users and help, and help guide them to make a decision from a rational perspective about why they would want to buy something and what, what interests them in their time. So, it still grows. It's gotten more challenging, no question about it. But the fact is, is like they're still going to spend money to try and get in front of users. Now, whether or not they're successful at it and it's, and it's a profitable venture is another story. But the fact is, is like when you have such fierce competition in the market for users, you know, time and eyeballs, you have to spend it somewhere. So it's got to go to a place where you think it's going to work. You know uh, the one thing that I I would also say is that, you know, we, I, I think we, we, we exist in a world in mobile games. It's so big, but it's also such a small industry and we all are, you know, basically barely even one connection away from one another. And all of every one of us are on LinkedIn all the time and we see each other's stories and we read about them. And like, it's really crazy to know that this marketplace itself is like so massive in terms of it's like uh, opportunity, but so tiny in terms of it's like ability to, to reach people. Um, But I think we also exist uh, up to this point, at least Ethan, in a world where it was focused primarily on mobile or almost exclusively on mobile. And that is not the case anymore. Um, You're probably seeing now, Mm -hmm. Ethan, that game developers are really big ones that were mobile always, you know, Zynga, for example, or even Supercell uh, are actively and publicly suggesting that they're gonna go outside of mobile to develop games. And so the PC, the console, Steam, um, Epic Game Store, uh, the Mac OS X environment, the Android environment, they're all going to continue to build um, games, but they're going to reach users outside of mobile now um, because of a million different reasons, but partly is because of the changes with uh, with privacy in general.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think um, a lot of people are looking for what is the next uh, blue ocean or slightly less purple ocean um, in the face of that. Do you have uh, so we have twenty six point seven billion in 2022. Do you have similar numbers from from previous years? Like what's the trend in in this aggregate spending?
1: I think the trend is still going up and to the right, but not as dramatically as it was before.
0: We we hit on this a little bit before, but how have you seen game marketers or uh, heard, you know, through your networks? How have they been shifting their budgets um, in terms of trying other other advertising tactics in addition to uh you know rewarded video ads and other various
1: ads uh in inside of mobile apps and games Great question so yeah i mean look i just said you know look i think there's going to be a world in in which Ethan and we're clearly you know this is something that i i could be you know i believe that we're we're building towards all of us that we see the world being um you know we see the gaming world in in a way that's existing uh, cross-platform uh, and being mm-hmm. ubiquitous to where users play games, whether it be mobile, PC, console, or any, anything for that matter. So anywhere you publish on, uh, you're going to have to acquire users. And there's a goal basically to say, if we have a sense of who this user might be in a way that's appropriate, then let's see how we can see how that user gets from one place to the next and create the customer experience we want to of a long-term user, no matter where they're playing, if it's on their phone or their television for that matter. So um, so I think like they're going to continue to to branch out in other avenues and kind of broaden where they acquire users, because at the end of the day, if they're able to find them in other places, that's going to make their business stronger. So um, I believe I fundamentally believe that we did talk about influencer campaigns and things like that. So kind of extending outside of the mobile ecosystem at the core performance bottom of the funnel, like I think that will continue to to grow. Um, there's another area, too, though, that's quite interesting, Ethan, in that. Uh, it'll be interesting to see as the prices have sort of stayed up um, to some degree, and I think you might have even reference this, this once or, or reference some, some of our reports, that iOS is starting to get more expensive to acquire users at the install level, which is a little bit, I would say, counterintuitive um, uh, to some degree. Because we would assume that demand would decrease from like a Mac, a Mac, Mac or Economics 101 perspective um, that, you know, as demand decreases, pricing should come down. But I think right. what's happened is supply has actually decreased uh, more aggressively than even demand. And then people would ask me like, "Well, w- how is that possible?" Well, if we're if you're reading the news every 5 seconds, what's happening? Everybody's acquiring each other, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, savvy games just spent 5 billion on on Scopely and Sega just acquired Rovio and I'm like scratching the surface because you and I have been reading about this Every single moment of the right. day and every tr- or every article because it's humongous news. It's like it's it's Titanic what's happening yeah. here. All right. So so what does that mean? Because somebody like, uh, you know, Sega, for example, they buy Rovio and they're buying how many DAUs they have. I don't know the exact number, you know, off the top of my head, but they've taken effectively those users off the market. Right. So now no sh- nobody should mm. be able to acquire those users because now Sega owns them and they probably don't want to give those users away by selling them back to somebody else. Now they have to protect that investment. Right. So so now if you're taking away that many users, you know, in one fell swoop, then suddenly the market dynamics have shifted against the advertisers again, because there's just naturally less users to buy. So so um, so number one, that creates a major challenge that people are confronted with in the open market. Um, Part of the reason they're buying the studios is because of the reality in the first place that it's more expensive to begin with. They're saying, hey, look. We'll spend seven hundred and eighty million dollars on Rovio because it's more expensive to acquire that many users on our own. So let's just buy the users outright and we'll own them. Okay, but what will be interesting to see is traditionally Ethan up to this point that retargeting users, um, much like e-commerce companies would in the past, that hasn't really been um, a, a flex muscle in gaming for a lot of different reasons. Part of part of the reason was because Nobody had really built really um, you know, uh, impressive increma- incrementality tools to actually support the measurement of it. But at the same time, it just simply wasn't working at some point. But at, over time, if you're acquiring those users, suddenly what's happened, you have more users to retarget because you bought these studios, right? And so naturally, what will yes. happen is now you actually have a bigger supply of your own users to retarget, which would naturally bring the price point down. So they're, they're sort of moving against one another. The pricing is getting more expensive to acquire out in the open market. But it's becoming less expensive to retarget it if you own the users outright if you're buying a studio. So
0: if I understand that idea, Sega, for example, I know the Sonic Runner game is uh, primarily ad ad revenue, and it serve it gets a lot of downloads, a lot of organic traffic because of the license, because uh, people love Sonic, and um, it serves a lot of ads. And and so what what I think you're saying is. Now that Sonic acquires Rovio, let's imagine that they know that the Angry Birds products are higher monetizing and that Sonic does a good job of pointing players to Angry Birds, right? If there's a good affinity crossover there. So you might Correct. expect or a, a a version of how to find a synergy in that acquisition would be to make a custom, a house ad server And for all the Sonic Runner ads to just supply uh, Angry Birds ads to the various
1: products. I think, you know, the hope is, is that to your to your point earlier, that the affinity is close enough when you kind of mix brands together and IP that, you know, that there is a crossover of audience to support that. It doesn't mean it happens in every case. And I'm sure in your experience, you know that there are pitfalls to trying to cross promote you know, titles. Sometimes it just doesn't work. Even if you think you have the heuristic data that actually would get you there, sometimes it doesn't work. Um, and, uh, and it's, 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 it's always had its challenges. It doesn't mean it's not solvable or, or, or solvable to other degrees, but I think on some level, like, you know, that's never been easy in games and, and maybe not for any industry for that matter, but I know that's always been a challenge. I do think though that companies that actually can build a uh, cross promotion tools, to really show true lifetime value down to, you know, really, really granular levels um, will end up being really successful in this kind of venture. Because I do think like, you know, if you're spending so much money on studios, then naturally you want to retain the investment as long as you possibly can into every nickel you possibly can. And so building tools to actually support that will be critical into the future because again, we're in an environment, we're really unfamiliar with with just this much consolidation. I mean, I could be wrong. I mean, I've, I i do not think I've seen an industry like, basically see, you know, kind of accelerate to the level that we're seeing it. But like, for example, like the travel industry, the digital travel industry, you know, one company owns virtually every property now. So, you know, or the same with like the dating industry, the dating app industry, um, you know, match.com owns, God knows how many properties, they buy more and more and more. So it's, um, there's consolidation in every marketplace. I think we're just a little unfamiliar to the level of degree we're seeing it today in games.
0: One of the um, findings Um, That is of particular interest to me because uh, both by the games I like, uh, you know, what I have an affinity to and just like where I've learned a lot of lessons. I try and keep a a close eye on free to play mobile games out of uh, Japan, South Korea, China, and uh, because they're such high monetizing countries and often their metagame mechanics are kind of ahead of where we are. They often find things, invent things that that um, we then use to turbocharge our games. So this this um, finding stood out to me that the U.S. commands nearly half of the total ad spend at twelve point two billion dollars, um, and that Japan is a distant second with nearly two billion dollars in spend. Mm-hmm. And what that when I saw that because I can name for you three or four different games that are like billion-dollar games pretty much in Japan and South Korea alone mm-hmm. um, that are, you know, the the classic example is Monster Strike. We'll bring up King of Fighters, uh, All-Stars, Dragon Quest Walk. Like, there's uh, Fate Grand Order, uh, Puzzlin' Dragons. There are a ton of games that do... Uh, let's say ten or twenty times better in Japan and South Korea than they do in us. and and the the IAP spend on those games is tremendous, right? Mm-hmm. So when we look at the portion of ad spend per country relative to the portion of of IAP revenue it generates, like, do things match up or does this this country level, uh, data tell us that there's an opportunity to play moneyball here, that there are countries that we're, as an industry, under-investing in when it comes to buying performance marketing?
1: Yeah, it's definitely possible. There's a few things that, you know, We there's a few kind of conclusions we can draw from that. Like, number one, it's possible that the advertising, just the way it's done in the Western regions, just doesn't apply to uh, you know, a country in APAC, or like J- Japan for that matter. And I could be wrong there. I mean, you know, that, that that's just one initial like high level thing that you could suggest. I mean, that could be part of it. I mean, I think there are several levels to the puzzle on this one, because it is a little bit of an eye opening statement to say, look, the, both these are massive regions in games. You know, obviously the States is much larger in terms of the total number of users than Japan. But when you look at how much revenue Japan, you know, creates in terms of games, It's it's very impressive for just how small the country is in regards to its total population. So you know, like that, there's something there's something odd about that. I think that you're kind of you're getting at, and I and I agree with you there. I would say the other challenges are there too. Is that you know, is it possible that you know the games that we're still making in North in North America, for example, um, are they still not um, localized properly to reach the region successfully? Are we still you know are we still behind them to some degree? Because what you just mentioned earlier is true. Is that you know, they're building things to turbocharge the ability to monetize games and, and create consumption of games that you know that were a little bit behind. I remember like 10 years ago, free to play really came out of Korea originally to the states. Um, and we were utilizing the sinks and puts that free-to-play games had from Souls effectively, and then applying them here in the United States. And that started with the Facebook Canvas platform, and then ultimately MMOs got big and et cetera, et cetera. And so suddenly free-to-play became the dominant kind of monetization strategy outside of um, you know, the console and PC business. Um, so there are precedents to suggest that like, you know, if primarily and from the APAC region, did something change? You know, that they, did they drive some innovation here? And I think that's possible. Um, but then finally, one other thing that I think it's important to realize is that, you know, um, and I don't know um, how much this gr- grows. Is it stayed? Is it changed? I'm not sure of that, Ethan. But one thing I could suggest to at the same time is that, you know the the natural social graph of of uh, of social properties in that in region in China in Japan in Korea, and I think I would use Lion as the example or Cacao. You know they've naturally utilized those channels more um, you know more aggressively to acquire users. And games is obviously a big part of um, of their of their strategy on how they keep users. Um, and in some cases, you're leveraging the social gap without actually spending. Money is aggressively on advertising, you're utilizing something like Line, for example, to actually acquire users to a bigger K factor. And so, therefore, um, they might be spending less, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're not acquiring as many users. Beyond those, um, you know, we talked about APAC.
0: And when you look at where marketing money is invested around the world compared to the revenue potential of those countries. Um, Do any Moneyball-style opportunities pop out? Like, as an industry, are we neglecting uh, MENA, South Africa, Brazil, uh, other regions? Like, are there places where it seems like we're ignoring what I'll call, like, uh, really high – or uh, users with potential because uh, maybe we are marketers that live in Western countries and don't know how to advertise to those players?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think we've always traditionally had troubles with it, you know, like, I think, like, number one, there's a large amount of users, primarily, you know, the larger percentages is, is, is on Android, and I'm not suggesting anything new there. Um, and it has been harder to monetize those users, partly because, um, you know, not only because the users just simply have a little bit less to spend, which um, I don't think I'm saying anything that's, you know, that people haven't made contentions over the past. Um, but at the same time, uh, some of the infrastructures in place to supporting how you monetize in those regions um, were a little bit behind in terms of its development. Now, I wouldn't say that's the case today, but traditionally that has been part of the, uh, the uh, part of the puzzle that, you know, that that hasn't hasn't com- been completed. But I think probably that's getting better. Um, and I, I would assume it is. But I do think like on some level, there are opportunities to to do more in those regions. But again, I think what might happen is um, that that publishers might start acquiring, let's say, studios in Latin America, for example, more aggressively than they had previously. Uh, So I think the larger publishers, to some degree, are going to be the ones that reach those markets, but they might reach the the markets again, not necessarily through traditional natural means of acquiring users in the open uh, marketplace, but... Focusing on those countries, they might just say we'll buy those users by uh, publishers that exist in region uh, that f- uh, publish more aggressively in that region. And so again, this is where I go back to connecting the dots. There's other ways to connect the dots to users um, by utilizing other engagement tools uh, and infrastructures to actually support you know sort of live operations. Um, and I don't. I hope this is not a major stretch for what I'm suggesting, but I do think like on some level. On the regions where it's just more challenging to acquire the users outright, they might actually look for a different means to do so. And that would include like more aggressive m but then also utilizing uh, CRM tools to keep the users more engaged and use them as a long-term investment. And I think potentially advertising revenue becomes a little bit more interesting. I'll move on to one
0: of the other key findings. Uh, 88% is the increase in CPI on iOS from Q1 2021 to Q4 2022, shooting up to 375 per install as iOS marketers continue to accept high prices to acquire valuable Apple users. So, um, unpack this one for me. Why do you think CPI is increasing? I mean, I, we've touched on it a little bit, but. Why is CPI increasing even though we're spending uh, less money and have a diminished ability to target uh, spenders specifically? Right. I would have guessed, as we said a little bit, um, that CPI would decrease in the face of um, people pulling back on their marketing budgets.
1: Essentially, it's a couple of factors. It's definitely true that you know you you are kind of like uh, I would say. You're damned, uh, you're damned of what you do, I guess. Uh, you you th- I think there is a natural propensity to keep spending on iOS because it's what you know, even though mm-hmm. the data that you're getting back from iOS isn't what it used to be. Like I think they'll, they're still fighting their fi- good fight to basically say it's still worth it buying on here because um, the other larger macro data is telling me it's true. Even though what I'm looking at it right in front of me that might not suggest exactly the same picture, and I think that's probably true for a lot of people. Uh, but again, I'm going back to this. Um, uh, you know, again, you you have a lot less users to acquire, but they have more propensities to spend. So you'll naturally spend more per install for an iOS user than an Android user, in the hopes that it would still be a profitable venture. Again. But but at the same time, like what I suggested was maybe the pie that's out there in Apple doesn't isn't as large as it used to be for all these dynamics that we discussed for the last ten or fifteen minutes. Mm-hmm. So um, the, naturally, if supply comes down, then price price would go up. So you're just there might be just less to spend because there's just less users out there in the open market that are gamers that naturally would install an application and be a good user of yours. So I think like in a lot of ways. Um, the consolidation in the market is driving some really like strange, strange microeconomic results that a lot of people, yourself included, and I would I would venture the same thing, uh, Ethan, is to suggest that this is working against what traditionally economic cycles would suggest. Like this is just it feels like it's almost backwards. But I think there are other I think there are other dynamics in play that are causing this sort of disruption. Another
0: one we'll touch on here was a key finding a 7% drop in in-app purchase revenue in the second half of 22 compared to the first half of 2022, with iOS down negative 13, Android down negative 6. Uh, this trend is largely driven by a decline in high IAP genres of RPG and casino where an economic downturn appears to have impacted customer spending. So um, what, what that's saying is that uh we're all aware of the macro uh of a slowing economy and inflation uh worldwide and that has continued into 2023 and it's interesting um that uh it disproportionately affects these genres uh which are RPG uh, like I used to make and and casino um are there other genres that we feel are getting that the data shows are getting disproportionately affected by uh, the macro, and, and conversely, are there any genres that are gaining uh, at the time that uh, RPG and casino are seeing uh, reduced spending?
1: Well, now you know social casino. You know historically, they've spent so much money per user that it's a it's a it's a very challenging business to be successful at because like they're willing to spend hundreds of dollars in some cases because
0: right multi year payback windows on those yeah
1: they're huge and so the profitability of a, of a user in social casino if you find the whales are either they're huge you know um and and then i would say maybe that's the same piece for rpg i you know and it's possible when you start going from mid-core to hardcore that that might suggest the same result that like you know it's just tougher to find whales now because of what you just described a slowing economy um and, in, and inflationary um you know results that could, potentially be impacting somebody's, you know, uh, rational spend, uh, you know, uh, rational spend. So what are they spending their money on? You know, is it going to, you know, traditional, um, goods and services like butter, for example, or is it going to luxury things, which you could suggest games are. So I think that's sort of like up, up for debate. Um, but, uh, it, it is quite interesting that, you know, social casino is now getting impacted because what happened initially, if we read it correctly, Ethan, was that once, frankly, the pandemic came on after the first six months to a year, social casino was growing like crazy and their numbers were increasing right. to great, great depth and great, great length. Um, and uh, the data is telling us now that maybe that was obviously a short-term result um, to these, you know, um, you know, these, these big worldwide events, obviously with many of which were un- highly unfortunate. So um, it's possible that maybe, you know, the, those apps, uh, that the, the, the social casino and even in the RPG space have suffered from, uh, you know, this, this, you know, this, um, this result. Uh, the other thing you could potentially say too, is that, um, is it possible that social casino and even Archie RPG um, have they have the, the, the big, the big contenders in those spaces sort of outlive their lifespan? You know, is it possible mm. that, you know, are there not new entrants in the marketplace um, that have built an innovative uh, game in that genre that you know requires that attention has it have they dominated it for so long that maybe you know their propensity to spend in those games has has declined you know rather dramatically or at least to this level of degree um i i don't know i, I that i'd have to do more uh, research on but that's a natural result you could or you could you could kind of you could you could draw there as well yeah. Th- this
0: this this one is is what i'll call anecdata because i'm just talking about my own um behavior but if, for example, I think of myself as a spend, as both a player and a spender in the auto battle RPG genre, there was like a game, played it a whole bunch, spent a whole bunch. Then Idle Heroes came out, very similar game, a couple of improvements, played that for six months, uh, played AFK Arena for maybe two years, and then another one on the tail end. And, and all of these games uh, were relatively the same not that much changed um, in in these highly profitable and highly sticky uh, auto battle RPGs. And I, as a gamer, I've kind of washed on the genre. Um, I think after AFK Arena and King of Fighters All-Stars, I was like, like Street Fighter Duel came out recently. Three years ago, I'd be playing that game every day for six months, and now I'm like, well, I love Street Fighter, and I know I like this genre, but I've I've been to this rodeo before, and so I don't really mm-hmm. need to play Street Fighter Duel. So that's that's my personal anecdote. But it kind of um, speaks to that gamers, uh, individuals' preferences change over time, right? Just because someone is a 4X March Battle gamer today doesn't mean they will remain that way for two years. They might switch to being a Wild Rift player or a Fortnite player. Or a tune last player, right? Like people's, uh, um, uh, what appeals to them isn't fixed, and uh, it, it kind of points to, again, this is an anecdote of one, but but uh, need for innovation uh, as you bring a new entrant to the market to try and capture the players that are you know have been sticking with these other games for years.
1: For sure, I, I think you're absolutely right. Like you know, uh, you know, people's interests are not stagnant, and uh, you know, users need to change. And uh, I think that's a a great example of you know uh, a greater market dynamic that has something to do more with the individual than maybe something bigger than that. You know, maybe it's as simple as that. I'm
0: going to get into the end game of our interview, and what's interesting is I haven't even touched on all of the key takeaways from your first slide. So there is a lot of info in this report. Um and a lot to talk about uh with the state of marketing uh in our games in 2023. So as as a development studio just looking at it holistically, both this set of data and findings and what we're seeing on the ground here in 2023. Um what in your opinion should some of my top takeaways be what changes can i make to the games i'm developing or supporting the my marketing or my monetizing monetization strategy right how should given all this data all these findings how should i be adapting what i'm doing in 2023
1: well i here's the thing I, i i i certainly don't believe that like the market consolidation that we're that i've harped on a few times here through this time that we've been speaking going to change anytime soon like they're only going to get bigger (laughs) and uh, eventually though ethan it's somebody you can't buy everything so at some point it will have to stop because you know it's just there's only so many people out there in the market to acquire or be acquired so um but what i think is what's going to happen is that independent game developers are are going to have to look at uh, a broader a broader set of the market than they did previously just on mobile um and I will go back to this is that the the ability actually to acquire sort of a user graph that stretches across a much more ubiquitous gaming ecosystem of, of a, of a major publisher or, or an independent publisher for that matter, if they're able, they have the resources to do so is going to be way more critical. So um, I would, I would urge people if they can, because it's not as simple as me just snapping my fingers and saying, Hey, you need to go cross platform. I would say that, um, the ability to do this business successfully requires a much larger footprint than it did previously when everybody was on mobile exclusively. So building games on web, building games on PC, on Steam, on if you can get to console, I think is going to be really critical because uh, you know the, the ability just to touch a user in a different place and quantify um, LTV, um, no matter where they came from and where they ended up at is going to be really important to building a successful business. And I just don't think Um, you're going to be able to do that on mobile alone now. Um, And uh, that's a pretty, uh, I would say, it's a pretty, you know, kind of, I would say, dramatic statement to make. Uh, But I do think, like, that's the way people are going to view the world now uh, and how they acquire users. And, um, you know, not every company can be successful at it. You know, like Fortnite obviously has had a great run doing this, same with Roblox and there are others. Um, But, uh, you know, I think people have to think that way now uh, because, Uh, the way you did it on mobile isn't the same way. And it's very possible at the same time that like, I'm not saying this will happen, yes or no, Ethan, but like maybe users want a a different experience in mobile that played mobile for a long time. You know, like maybe they want to go from mobile to console or who knows what Netflix is going to do, or they want to play on Steam, you know, because they like the Steam environment. I just think that like people have to think differently. They have to think more broad. Um and they have to look at more holistically, you know, uh, for them as being sort of a content player in a in a really complex environment where users are expensive and it's very competitive. And like you got to do everything you can to 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 figure out who they are with the right means, and then uh, follow that user through that journey successfully. The interview i I put out there last week was with
0: Andre Van Roon, who is the head of League Studio at Riot. And we touched a lot on what they've learned in, in with regards to cross-platform game development and bringing your game to different platforms um, at the end of that interview. So if that's a, a topic of interest to you, um, that was a really great uh, interview that, that I suggest you go back and listen to if you haven't already, because there's a lot of... Um, First hand knowledge about uh, bringing games to different platforms uh, and operating that cross platform world. So, uh, definitely worth a listen. Um, I will. Uh, and that's for the Twiggies. Uh, Brian, I know you've you, you listen to every episode. You won't stop I, texting me about it. So
1: <laughs> Well, I do. I read as much as I, I'm always a little bit behind, but I, I've, I don't think I've missed one in two years, I want to say. Maybe, maybe longer. So, uh, I'm always there. All right.
0: Now, now here's the selfish uh, Ethan question: What what are the stories or developments you think we should be covering on Twig that that we might be ignoring um, that'll help us better shine a light on the latest uh, developments in UA?
1: I'm of the ob- opinion that focusing on a privacy cloud environment is going to be important. That predictive analytics, primarily with like SK Ad Network, is going to be much bigger. Um, uh, and people are not going to acquire users. I mean, it's like, we use the phrase attribution at apps flyer and so does, so do our competitors, but like the, the, what attribution is or how we define it today might not be relevant at all in a year from now, it could be completely different. So um, I think what I, I would venture to say is that, um, you know, acquiring users now is just, it's going to be vastly different. And um, I think, you know, you can't limit yourself to one strategy here. Like nobody knows the future and nobody knows what's going to be the prevailing um, standardization that you're going to play against, um, you know, into the future. So um, having, uh, if, there, if it's possible, the time, the resources, the money, unfortunately, if, it, if, you, have, uh, if you have the luxury of, of those kinds of things, then um, uh, putting your eggs in as many baskets as possible, as, as humanly possible, is the right strategy to take. Um, but I do think honestly, Ethan, like this will play itself out. Like we're going to MAU, you know, in a month or so or something like that. And I think a lot of the companies that are in gaming that, that are going to be there are going to focus on a lot of the technologies that I'm suggesting that they're going to have to leverage into the future because they're up against a lot of challenges, you know, like it's not just Apple and Google. Like if you think about somebody like Epic, for example, like they have, you know, they, they have a lot of considerations because they are crass platform because they reach, you know, a pretty diverse audience, but a lot of them, you know, are children in some cases. So, you know, how do you, how do you market to them effectively, but still create the sanctity of like doing right by the users that you, you know, that you value and and, and you appreciate and, and helps build your business. So I think like you, I think we're going to hear soon about like a lot of different innovations that are going to take place that the entire ecosystem is going to be leveraged, whether they be service providers, ad networks, publishers, developers identity management tools, um, you know, CRM solutions, like I mentioned before, live operations, like uh, the world is going to change quite a bit. And, you know, the the UA manager um, buying users on Facebook and Google, um, that's going to be a little bit different than it was before. It's a, I think, you know, anything it's, you know, any, any, any challenges is, is the, um, any challenge could be an opportunity for solutions and innovation. So um, I think, uh, you know, I'm that's, that's what excites me. And, a lot of this new technology that comes out, I'm really, you know, you know, relatively unfamiliar with, but I'm going to have to learn really fast um, to understand how to articulate it properly and show people why it's valuable as we change through these, you know, um, these, these tides. And uh, that'll be exciting. Well, I'll, I'll make you a deal. Uh, you learn it first,
0: uh, produce an incredible report about it that I won't read, and then I'll uh-huh. make you come back here and educate me again about how predictive analytics work.
1: Uh, yes, no problem. <laughs> I'll, I'll be learning when, when you'll be learning, but you know what? I'll bullet point it out so at least it's digestible <laughs> because it can't be eighty PDF pages. I know, <laughs>
0: <laughs> not for me, for yeah. others. Okay, it's shill time. We've we've been talking. You've been helping educate the audience for over an hour here. If somebody's made it this far into the into the episode, they can they can deal with a little shilling. So, uh, uh, tell me about. Uh, what new tools or capabilities uh, is AppsFlyer developing to help on these topics we've been talking about? We've been talking about adapting to the new world, getting the most out of the privacy changes in UA, making your marketing mix more robust so that one change can't upset your whole business model. Um, so, what's AppsFlyer doing to help?
1: Yeah, uh, you know, great question. You know, like definitely predictions um, about how to build predictive ROAS, predictive ARPU. Um, if you can build a model that supports um, a non-deterministic um, uh, you know, algorithm where, whereby uh, you have limitations from something like Apple or Google Sandbox that you need to basically say predictions is actually the way to solve this challenge, so I'm buying successfully, that's definitely one thing that I've had a lot of faith in with the company, and they've made tremendous strides and investments in it. Uh, same with, um, as I mentioned before, the privacy cloud and the, the concept of a data clean room, creating an environment where it's safe to acquire users and do it in a way that's not breaking not only the uh, the developers' rules in terms of how they protect their users, but the other parts of the ecosystem that are just as integral to it in terms of the networks and the identity management tools and the first-party data tools and things like that. Um, uh, I do think that, um, you know, what's really interesting to... Um, uh, uh, Ethan is is uh, you know television See, connected TV has become a much bigger um, you know ecosystem and platform that uh, the game developers are looking at and what's interesting is that that you know think about like how how impressive a game could could get in terms of its ability to acquire users successfully when they're watching their Samsung television um, on on some you know on on one of their connected television you know um, uh, applications. And suddenly they see an ad for a game and then a QR code pops up and then you deep link the QR code to an install on your phone and then you show the attribution right then. Like that is a really, really valuable uh, user journey uh, and one that I think um, is very, very at its nascent stage, but could be incredibly big. And companies like Moloko, for example, uh, Samsung, Vibe.co, Mountain, um, there's a host of others. I'm, I'm leaving people out, which I shouldn't, scientific game or scientific TV scientific is another one, but again, I'm leaving people out, I shouldn't, but there's a whole ecosystem now of ad platform providers that are focusing primarily on, on connected television and OTT, whereby they're supporting the gaming industry. Now it doesn't come without its challenges because of, uh, you know, how you can actually find the users that are going to be successful. There are ways of doing it. It's not easy. Um, it requires a lot of ingenuity and a lot of innovation, um, a lot of time and resources, but it, I believe that's a huge future. I think that people that aren't focusing there are really missing out in games because it's just a natural fit. Like you know, there are there are times when other applications that go outside of of really impressive media like that, or multimedia for that matter, um, can't succeed at it. Like a utility app that's non that's not a non game might not just have the you know the the impressiveness of a game to succeed on those platforms, and they could actually be unsuccessful at it. But games are just you know obvious. You know, there's no reason why you shouldn't do it on on television. So um, it would be really cool just to see how we bridge that that chasm there, whereby now we can connect the television with the mobile device or other device that sits within the household and be successful at it. So I am really big on connected TV and where that's headed. um, And I think um, it's going to have great results. It's going to take a lot of work. uh, But frankly, um, the the fit is natural and it should only get bigger. Well, Brian, uh,
0: thank you so much for coming on and making me and through me the uh, Twiggies out there a little bit uh, smarter about the state of marketing today. Really appreciate it.
1: Well, I hope so um, and you're welcome and thank you for the time and, and the great conversation. It was, it was helpful and uh, I'm glad we got to speak today. Thank you. You did it, you made it to the end of the episode. As a fan of the show, it would help us out if you subscribe and leave us
0: a review on the podcast service of your choice. More importantly, are you a member of the Deconstructor Fund Slack Group? If you have five years or more of games industry experience, go to deconstructoroffun.com slash slack and apply to join. Join the games industry's best professional community filled with peers always willing to lend a hand or subscribe to our newsletter to get all the latest insights from the Deconstructor of Fun content creators. Thanks for listening.